Welcome to the Broker Growth Accelerator, where we discuss how real estate brokers can accelerate their growth by improving their agent recruiting and retention. I'm your host, Jim Turner, and today we'll discuss growth tactics with our special guest, who is a subject matter expert in the industry. Let's get started. Today on the show, we're excited to have Luke Andrews, who's a real estate team leader in Kentucky and is joined to talk about his experience in growing his business. So welcome to the, the Broker Accelerator podcast, Luke. Man, so excited to be here, Jim. Really appreciate you having me. Okay, thanks so much. So, Luke, tell me, like, tell me about where you live and how's the market there now. Sure. So, I am in Louisville, Kentucky, which you know, kind of sits right on the border between Kentucky and Indiana, kind of right, right in the center of the state. As far as the market right now, I mean, I, I think we're probably seeing what a lot of folks across the country are seeing. You know, we're seeing it soften just a little bit. You know, it's it's not going crazy by any means, but you know, absolutely the the rise in interest rates have put some of the buyers on on hold for a little while. But you know, we still have a lot of people that need to transact business. But for our agents, we're trying to get them right now to kind of shift their thought process to you know continue to work with the people that really need to transact at the moment, the people that have to move for one reason or another. But also focusing on investors as well, because we, we're we in a very good investor market where there's a lot of good cash flow and returns for rentals. And so we're, we're kind of focusing on that at the moment and getting people, because we know the investors have been sitting on the sidelines and chomping at the bit for several years. And now they're, they're starting to see things slow down. They start, they're starting to see some deals out there starting to see a little bit of blood in the water, if you will. And so we're, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that our agents are able to attack the market from multiple different angles and directions so that they can maintain that lifestyle that they're used to maintain that production level that they're used to, even though they're seeing their, a lot of their colleagues around town starting to slow down. We're just improving skill sets. Sounds great. And so how long have you been in the business and how did you get into kind of running your team? What's the history there? Maybe tell us about your team and kind of the history of how'd you start? How'd you get to kind of where you are now? Sure. So I have been licensed for almost seven years and, you know, currently I've got a team of 22 agents who are producing an average of about 21 deals per year each. And in my market, the average agent's doing anywhere from kind of eight to 10, eight to 11, depending on, you know, what you consider full-time and actually in the business and working. But I got into the business in a, a kind of a, a unique or funny way, kind of fell into it. So my wife was a licensed agent for a long time and she worked for, she worked for someone who I've known since I was five years old. And it, you know, I, I had a corporate nine to five. I was in strategic marketing and data analytics and commuting back and forth between downtown and the suburbs every day. And one day she said, you know, with your path that you're taking home, it would be fantastic if you were licensed, you could just stop and show these houses for me on the way home. She wouldn't have to go out during rush hour. And so we, I got my license part-time just to be able to help her out. And we were also starting to invest a little bit in property as well. And so I thought that might be beneficial. But honestly, I fell in love almost immediately. I mean, it was just like, it was just, it was scratching this entrepreneurial itch that I didn't realize that I had until I actually got in there and started doing it. Um, 
And the, the broker that she was working for at the time, he was in the process of starting to really kind of grow and blow out his team. And that's what I had done in the corporate world. So I had grown some teams in there and we made a decision at one point where we just said, you know, let's just cut the cord. Let's just dive into this thing all in. We created a 24 month plan of how we were going to transition from this, you know, corporate six figure nine to five job with benefits and stability and 401ks and bonuses and stock options and everything else, how we were going to transition that into, you know, a, a 1099 completely working for ourselves. And, and so we did that and it grew faster than I possibly could have imagined. Now, was it all completely simple and easy and everything was great and rainbows and sunshine? No, but we learned to appreciate the bumps in the road. We had a great plan in place. And so we knew there were going to be bumps. And so it made it a little easier to handle and a little easier to swallow. And then, you know, once we kind of got over that hump, things just really took off and never looked back. Sure. Sounds good. And so you're at 22 agents now from, you know, kind of within your team, where do you want to be in 12 months in terms of kind of agent count, but, but also like what, what's the, what are those kind of ideal agents you look for? Like, you know, tell me, tell me about like, are there certain production levels, experience levels, personality traits, you know, talk about kind of like project now into the future where you want to be in 12 months and what does that team look like? Sure. So from a number perspective, I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily have a number in mind. I mean, I, I think I, if you, if you said you got to pick something right now, I'd probably say I'd, I'd like somewhere between 35 and 50 agents, you know, growing to, to 35 in the next 12 months, I think is very realistic because I think there's going to be a lot of agents who are looking, who have been independent, who are now looking for homes. And when I say looking for a home, looking for a, a team home that, you know, is able to provide them leads and support and training and help them navigate this changing market. But really we, we've got a big focus on, we want as many of the right agents and none of the wrong agents, understanding that, you know, we're, we're going to miss from time to time, but when we're looking for, you know, what is, what does that perfect agent look like? You know, we're looking for things like, are they a self-starter? You know, are, are they motivated Do you know, are we going to have to kind of drag them across the finish line? Because that's very difficult to do, especially with a team this size. So we need someone self-motivated. We also need someone who's, you know, connected within the community or has a desire to be, you know, you don't necessarily have to come in with this massive sphere of influence, but I need to know that you're willing to go out and, and try to actively grow and nurture that sphere. And then, you know, we're just, we're looking for problem solvers. Um, someone who is willing to go out and just attempt to solve problems and look for problems that they can solve. Um, you know, that's, that's extremely helpful. They don't have to know all of the answers, but if they're willing to at least go out and attempt, we, we can work with that. We can train that we can, that is a good marketable skill that we can go out and, you know, help them grow their sphere, help them grow their book of business, help them grow the number of transactions that they're doing on an annual basis. If they're out there looking for those problems that they can solve. And then, you know, of course they have to have this phenomenal interpersonal communication because without the communication piece of it, you can be phenomenal at everything that you're doing. But if you can't articulate that to a client, if you can't articulate that to vendors, like yeah, mortgage brokers, title, 
underwriters, people like that, then, then you're never going to succeed. Sure. And so tell me how in the interview process, so that those are the traits you're looking for mm -hmm. in the interview process. How do you look for them? Like, how do you assess whether kind of candidates, I guess this is kind of a two part question. How do you, how do you find those candidates? What are your lead sources? Right. And then how do you assess in the process, whether they, they are likely to have, you know, kind of, you know, meet that, that, that kind of framework that you just laid out. Sure. So really as far as a finding a, a candidate process, a lot of our candidates actually come to us. So they're finding us on social media. They're seeing the things that we're doing in the industry. If they have an interest in real estate and because our team is very productive, we've done a lot of transactions. We've met a lot of, we've helped a lot of people buy and sell homes. And so if they ever have the inkling to get into real estate, we are naturally one of the first calls that they make. And so we can, we, we've got great lead sources coming in that way. You know, we, we do advertise, you know, on some, you know, monster.com or, or places like that, but we're not actually, we're not actively out there recruiting on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, any, anything there. Now, as far as how do we determine those people in the interview process, it's, it's insanely difficult. You know, I've always said that everybody is on their best behavior in an interview. You know, everybody works the hardest. Everybody comes in first. Everybody stays late. Everybody does exactly what it, what it takes to be successful. So you, you have to find a way to kind of filter through some of that BS. Part of it is knowing that you are going to swing and miss periodically, but checking in on, on some of the references are, you know, those are things that we really like to do. But even that, I mean, 99% of the time. If they make it to an in-person interview, you know, they're smart enough to know that to only put references that are going to give them phenomenal reviews. And so it's just a matter of, we try to make it very conversational. We ask a lot of questions. We ask a lot of scenario type questions, like tell me about a time when just trying to figure out, you know, are their answers congruent? Do they seem to be congruent? between scenarios to figure out, are they just trying to tell us what we want to hear or do they actually have these thoughts, beliefs, and skill sets? And again, we swing and miss a, a decent amount. And that's a, that's a difficult piece because I can tell you one thing as a leader, an area where I have really, really struggled is I guess the, the best way to put it is this cocky mentality of, you know what, this person doesn't seem to be working out, but I'm good enough that I can fix them. I'm good enough that I can train them to get them where they need to be. I'm good enough that I can drag them to the finish line. And that's an area that I really had to sit back and evaluate and say, you know, sometimes it's just not a good fit and you just got to cut them loose. You got to realize that, Hey, I made a mistake on the front side. And sometimes it's not wanting to admit that mistake. And other times it's not wanting to admit that I wasn't a good enough leader to get them where they needed to be. You know, I take that failure very, very personally. And, you know, in a lot of cases, that's just the wrong way to go about it. Sure. Well, you know, you can't teach aptitude and motivation, right? Those are kind of like deep, 100%. deep traits within them that have been bred from, you know, either their birth or early childhood, right? 
but you can bring experience, right? And you can coach people that are inexperienced. But so are you, that kind of raised my next question. So are you looking for, you mentioned kind of, you know, posting on job boards, which would be probably new agents, uh, you know, cooperating agents, which would probably be more experienced agents. Are you looking for both new agents and experienced agents, a little bit of one or the other, kind of a mix, you know, where do you, where do you fall there? Well, you know, we'd obviously love to have some of the experienced agents that are out there. And we have had a few, you know, potentially from a, a good solid cross deal that one of our agents has had and said, Hey, I work with this agent on the other side. You know, I had the listing, they had the buyer, they were fantastic to work with. They were on top of things. They were an excellent communicator. You know, they're, they're fun to be around. I think they might be a good fit for the team. However, because we provide a lot of high quality leads, we provide a lot of support and resources and things like that. Our split is fairly high. You know, we're, we're on a 50, 50 split with our, with our team agents. And so it is difficult to get some existing agents over there. You know, no matter how much I try to help them focus on value, not on split and say, okay, well, you're doing eight deals a year now at an 80, 20 split. But if I could provide you the leads and the support and you could easily do 25 right. at a 50, 50 split, guess what you win, but they focus on that 80, 20 versus 50, 50 so much that it's really difficult to get them to come over. So a lot of our new agents do tend to be new to the industry agents. I can tell you one place that I look really, really heavily right now, because we've had a lot of success recently, our former teacher. Former teachers make fantastic agents. And I, I can't tell you that I know exactly because they've all had somewhat different skill sets, traits, personalities. Right. But the thing that I can find about teachers is one, they're not afraid to work hard. These are very, very hardworking people. Mm -hmm. Two, they, they can get up and they can talk to others. They're not afraid to get up and talk. They're okay hearing their own voice that's out there. And finally, three, they are used to taking complex information and reducing it down to make it simple for the common layman. You know, that's what they do in the classroom on a regular basis. They find ways to relate the materials to different students. And then they take that same skill set and they take what can be a somewhat complicated and cumbersome process like buying or selling a home. And then they can reduce that down and make it uber simple and make someone just feel really good about the process and the transaction, which has made these teachers extra successful. Right. Now that's interesting. And it, they tend to have kind of a nurturing personality too, versus like going for a kind of the hard close, right? They're more mm -hmm. to kind of help guide them through and coach them through the process. So for sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Okay. So, you know, you said something interesting about you know, the comp plan driving the, the profile. And so I've been asked before, okay, well, what, you know, who should I hire? And it's like, well, tell me what your value proposition is. And to know that, tell me what your comp plan is, right? Because your comp plan is going to drive what your value proposition is to attract people. And so in that scenario, I can understand with the high split, but high services, that's probably a great fit for newer folks that don't come in with a book of business, especially if you're giving the leads and coaching. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, the hundred percent commission is probably the people further in their career that know that they have those things. And then they're looking to just, you know, reduce, increase their, their portion of the split for sure. So, so it sounds like, you know, when, when I've been in that situation and talked to people, I've heard a lot of people say they're looking for people. I mean, it's really about aptitude and personality. 
right? And looking for the people that have the motivation, the grit, but also the social skills and kind of are wired to enjoy persuading other people too. And so it's interesting you said teachers. I've also heard um, similarly people in retail, like, mm -hmm. you know, go to, you know, kind of a Peloton or something like that. People that have been selling, but, or the Apple store they've sold, but they, they, you know, you can potentially track them with just a higher ticket item, essentially bigger mm -hmm. sales. So is that something you've kind of seen much of out there or done any of? We haven't seen a, a great deal from the retail space, although I, I will tell you that I do have, so I have four sales managers within my, within my 22 agents. And one of those actually did, did come from retail. Although I'll, I'll tell you, he was military beforehand for quite a long time. And so I think that's probably what drove a little more of the, of the process and the leadership skills that he, but it's, like I said, we, we haven't had a lot that have come from the retail space. A lot of them have been teachers. We've had some coming from the service industry, you know, whether it be baristas, waiters, waitresses, you know, a host or hostess at a restaurant, places like that. They're, they're kind of hit or miss. You know, the majority of them are used to what I, what I found in my experience, they're used to working hard, but they're used to working hard kind of in, in short bursts. And in some cases it's very difficult to get them focused through, through long processes. You know, they're used to a quick turnover. It's like, Hey, I've got a table. I go through, I work really hard for that table. And then I get paid immediately as soon as they're done. Right. Whereas now I'm asking them to start the process and you know, it may be two, four, six, ten 10 weeks before you even get someone under contract. And then the work starts to get 30 to 45 days until you get a paycheck. So that can be a little bit cumbersome or a little bit daunting. Some of them will try to continue to wait tables part-time in, in the background, which is, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm all for people doing what they need to do in order to, to meet their expenses and their, their needs. But I found that it, it just, there's not a lot of cases for success. It becomes the, becomes the exception, not the, not the norm. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, so we talked about kind of the recruiting side, but if you're going to grow your team or brokerage, right? Recruiting's on only half the battle, right? You need to then, you know, coach those, those agents that you hire to be productive. So that they stick around, right? The easiest way to grow is not shrink or to you, it is NFL season. So. As they would say in the NFL, the best offense is a defense, right? Yep. And so tell me, how is your, I guess, how's your retention and what are the things you do to help agents, you know, keep them engaged, help them be successful so that they, they do stick around. So the, the retention is, is very, very high. You know, I've, I've had to gradually kind of adjust my strategy over, over the years. You know, I, I let people know in the very beginning in the interview process, like I am, I am here 100%. If you need something, you can, you can come to me, you know, if it's Sunday morning, if it's Friday night, you know, if it's Tuesday during the day, I will do everything I can to take your call because I understand that, you know, that the complex questions don't come up during bankers hours, right? And so I'm, I'm here for you on a regular basis, but I also need them to know, and I'm very candid and upfront, which I wasn't always in the beginning, like 
I will provide you all the resources that you need. I will do everything I can for you, but I can't drag you through this process. You have to have that motivation to be able to get up and go on your own. But I, I think being, being there, being, being willing to, to coach on a regular basis, you know, we do a lot of shadowing in our office. We encourage a lot of shadowing of multiple agents because we understand and appreciate that there's not one right way to do this business. And so I want you as a new agent to be able to go out and see how I do a listing presentation and then see how an agent who's been with us five years does a listing presentation. And then someone who's been with us six months does a listing presentation, because I feel like you can pick up little bits from each and every one of those and do this model that I call adopt and adapt, which means that you can take pieces that you really like, you can adopt those into your own presentation. Or if there's something where it's like, Hey, that may work for you, but that doesn't fit my style they can adapt it to what they need to. And finally, an area where I've had to get significantly better. In, in the beginning, I always equated this to if anybody has kids, teaching them to tie their shoes. And like, I know I've got two boys who are 13 and 10, and when they were learning how to tie their shoes, it's a super slow and sometimes just painful process watching them try to go through this whole thing, right? right? And at a certain point, like we're running like, I gotta get you to daycare or school, I gotta get to work, you know, we've gotta do these things and it's just faster for me to just do it. And it's like, oh, I'll just do it myself. Right. Uh, and before you know it, the kid's seven years old and it's like, well, shoot, they don't make shoes that Velcro in your size anymore. So now we got to sit down. You're way too old, but we got to sit down and learn how to tie your shoes. So it's like that with the agents. It was like in the beginning, they would call with a question and I was just giving them the answers. I was just feeding them everything, thinking that I'm this great leader and I'm, I'm giving them everything that they need and I'm helping them succeed at the highest possible level. And you're invaluable, right? Yeah. Well, really on the backside, I'm not teaching them how to think. I'm doing them a disservice. I'm not teaching them how to actually be a great agent. I'm teaching them how to just be a clone of me. And one, it's not valuable for my time. And two, it's not valuable for them and their business down the road. And so I've had to do a better job about taking a little more time, even though it's more time consuming, even though it's more cumbersome, asking them as they ask me a question and just say, Tell me what you think, what would you do? Right. And then just kind of filling in the gaps and not making them clones of exactly how I would handle it. And what I found is the majority of them, even though it may not be exactly the same way that I did it, was perfectly acceptable. It was a great way for them to do it. I learned a few things from them by doing it that way. And you know, also help them realize that they know the answers 99% of the time. They just need reassurance that they know those answers. That took me a long time to learn as a leader. And I'm still going through that today. And it's difficult for me to say, okay, what do you think? Because it's just faster and easier for me to just give them a script, but it's, it's doing them a disservice down the road. hundred percent. Yeah. So I have a coach and he has something called the one, three, one rule, <laughs> which if any of my team members are listening to this, they know all too well, but that if someone basically comes to you and drops a problem in your lap and expects you to solve it, you ask them the one, three, one rule means they need to first tell you 
one clear problem to be solved, three potential ways to solve it that they can come up with and their recommended solution. So one, three, one. And, you know, when you ask people to follow the one, three, one rule, it kind of reframes. It's like kind of a reframe to, to, to kind of like almost push them a little bit to empower themselves to come up with the solution because they likely will come up with the right answer. Empower is a phenomenal word. Great. Perfect. Right. So it's just kind of coaching them to be more of a problem solver, right. Versus, you know, seeking others to solve problems for them. So totally agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I was writing down that one, three, one, as you're going through it, because I, that's, it's just, it's such a, a clear and concise. And I'm that type that, you know, I like lists. I like something to kind of work off of. And one, three, one just makes it super simple. I, I love it. Yeah. So my team, it's funny. I just got a Slack message from our producer who's heard this before, but so, so basically when people come to me and kind of just drop a problem on my lap, I typically respond with one, three, one, and then they know what that means. Right. And then they need to go off and come up with a solution. And I'm happy to give observations and, and ask questions and kind of give my opinion, but only after they've put some thought into it basically, and they'll probably come up with the right answer anyway. So yeah. Awesome. And so, so you hire someone new. How do you like, what goals do you set? Like what, what are the production goals that you have for how do you, how do you like hold them accountable for that? How do you drive accountability around that in terms of goals? And then how are people doing relative to those goals on average? So goal setting in the beginning is, is somewhat challenging because you don't know what you don't know. And we have had some agents who have been just colossal disappointments where we thought they were just going to come in and just blow it out of the water and didn't. And we've had others that we had very low expectations for who have just absolutely killed it. So I, I try to reserve judgment at this point, but from a goal setting perspective, we kind of sit down and we will work backwards. We start with kind of the lifestyle that they're looking for, or we're working from a number that they need on a regular basis. And they say, okay, after tax money, I know I need $6,000 a month out of my real estate gig. And then, so we just kind of start working, working backwards and we can kind of fill out those excuse me, those numbers. And we know average commission rates, you know, average, average splits, any referral fees that they're going to have. And then, you know, we'll factor in tax rates and all of those other things and really see how many transactions are they going to need to be able to hit that? And is that a realistic number? And, and at that point, as far as how do we keep them accountable and keep them on track, it's regular meetings. You know, there's a lot of on a, on a formal basis, we're meeting about twice a month for the first three months. And then really just once a month beyond that. And on an informal basis, I'm talking to them regularly. Some of these agents I'm talking to once or twice a day. Others it's two to three times a week and going through and not only problem solving, troubleshooting, but also how are things going? How is this lead source going? How is that lead source going? And then trying to figure out where are they through their onboard process and, you know, let's figure out where are they struggling? You know, we keep, we keep a lot of data on our team so we can see, okay, it's like, Hey, you're doing a lot of prospecting, but you're not setting a lot of appointments or you're going on a lot of appointments, but you're not writing a lot of offers. You're writing a lot of offers. You're not getting a lot of pendings, you know, whatever it happens to be. So we try to troubleshoot in those, in those areas and figure out, okay, well, you're going on a lot of appointments, but you're not getting a lot of offers written. So let's figure out where that deficiency is. 
And then, so it could be some shadowing pieces. It could be some role plays and then it could just be some talking throughs and realizing that it's like, okay, we realized kind of where, where the breakdown is. Let's try this and let's see what works at that point. Nine times out of 10, especially in that first piece of prospecting to setting appointments, setting appointments to writing offers and writing offers to getting them accepted. 99% of it boils down to agent confidence and their confidence just isn't high enough. And so we, we try to attack that from a couple of different ways. And one of those is just competence, knowing that competence drives confidence and trying to make sure that they have as much information as they can, but then also helping them understand and know that they're not going to know everything, but they need to be confident in the fact that they know significantly more than what their buyer is going to know. Even if their buyer is super experienced and has done this numerous times, they still are not familiar with the processes in today's market. And if they were that familiar with it, they wouldn't be utilizing an agent. They'd be out there doing it on their own. So we're just trying to drive and build confidence. And, you know, our approach to that just as many at bats as possible. So getting them in front of as many people as we can. Right. Right. And so, so you just described how you coach your agents on kind of the sales pipeline or sales funnel, right? And mm -hmm. how to optimize yep. the funnel and where they're getting blocked. Right. So, you know, what we've seen is, and this applies to all businesses, but, you know, brokerages, just like any business, you really have two, two pipelines or, or funnels, right? You have your sales funnel and you have your talent funnel, right? And so we, we're really focused on kind of the, the talent funnel, right? And when you boil it down, the same coach that came up with the pithy one through one rule, he's basically said in any funnel, all that there's three numbers that matter. And you, you got to focus on kind of the three things and it's easy to get caught up in the numbers, but it's basically, you know, how many, how many kind of, you know, KPI one would be, you know, probably appointments. How many appointments are you getting? Number two is how many sales. Number three is how many, how many successful kind of, you know, customers or employees do you have at the end? It's like one, two, three, and you're blocked on in each funnel on one of those places. And if you just kind of step back and look at those, it helps you kind of diagnose, right? And so, so we talked about kind of, you know, part one, really how, you know, how to get the appointments and then how to close them essentially. That third one is, is kind of what I'm getting at is how do you make them successful, right? And so for a customer, it's like you, it's not just a sale, it's a successful customer, because if they're successful, then you'll get, you, they're going to be very happy and you'll get referrals from it. Right. Same thing with employees, right? It's not just that you hired them. It's that you got them to the point of success. Right. So when do you, those are some of the things you do to get them there. How long do you, when do you know that it's a success? Like, is it, you know, after a month, three months and like, what do you need to see to know that on my kind of KPI three, like in my talent pipeline that I didn't just make a hire, but I made a great hire. Like, tell, tell me about that. Sure. So we, as far as like when we know, it's typically three to six months. I mean, you, you've got a pretty solid handle on, on what, what they're looking at. And I mean, it, just kind of going back to your, your funnel that you're talking about there before, you know, appointments, sales, successful clients, you know, we see how are they, how are they working through those things? You know, we're looking at our KPIs, we're looking at our leading indicators and yeah. trying to figure out, because that's, that's really what we can control, right? right? You can control and I can, I can look at this employee and say, okay, I know that, you know, you're averaging at least an hour of prospecting per day. 
and that you're willing to commit to this. And so more than anything, I'm looking to see what is their commitment level? And then how often are they coming back to me or to the sales manager to say, you know, hey, I'm having trouble here. This is where my roadblock is, rather than us having to go to them and say, what roadblocks are you having? Or it looks like you might be having this challenge. And so there's, there's a communication piece to it. It does look a little bit different for everybody. But from a timing perspective, like I said, typically in three to six months, you go, you're going to know. They may not be 100% developed at that six-month mark, and they're probably not going to be. But you can see that they're at least moving in the right trajectory, right? right? Now, what are, again, what are some of those indicators that we're looking for? Part of it goes back to those initial conversations about what are they hoping to get out of this role? You know, when we first started kind of building this team, we're trying to figure out, we're like, okay, well, we want... We know what our disc profile looks like. We're successful agents. We know what our disc profile looks like. So we're looking for someone with the same type of, same type of disc profile. We're looking for high Ds and we're looking for someone who is going to want to do 40 to 50 transactions per year. And they want to do it this way. Realizing that success looks different for everybody. You know, we had to stop being a one size fits all team. Now we still need to have some standard practices and metrics and standard processes and procedures to make sure that we're not just completely all over the place and burning our time, but at the same time, not treating every agent the same. And then going back to those original conversations to say, Hey, here's what you were hoping to get out of this. Here's what we told you you needed to do in order to get there. And then have you started doing those things? Are you on the right track? Are you making those efforts? And if they are, that's great. If they're far exceeding, we need to go back and we need to reevaluate their goals and reset and say, hey, we think you can do significantly more. Or if they're not there, we need to go back and revisit that goal conversation to figure out, are your actions congruent with your goals? Sure, sure. So when I, when I ask that question, what I've heard from others is just engagement and participation in you know, team or brokerage events, whether they be training, social, otherwise. Do you, do you guys do much of that? Do you see that as kind of part of it? Do, is that a driver or a correlation at least with their success long-term? It is a, it is a massive driver and correlation. So we have the way that we have it set up within our brokerage every Monday, we have a team meeting just for our team. Um, it's live in office. It's obviously not required. These are 1099 employees. We don't require them to be at anything. I do ask them in the interview, I was like, you want to be at as many of these things as you can, because one, you're feeding off the energy in the office and two, you're just learning from everybody else. Just being around others is going to help, help you succeed. We've got the team meetings on Mondays. We have a brokerage session on Fridays where we're going through, where just anybody in the brokerage can come and just bring a challenge that they're having with a deal and just say, Hey, I'm having this issue right now. And then we've got several agents with varying levels of experience who can kind of speak you know, give their opinions and options. We have a real estate attorney in the room who's kind of giving the, the legal perspective. So it, we ask them to be at those things as well to figure out like, hey, this is a good opportunity for you to learn, to kind of see some of the things that are going on, but also realize too that even very experienced agents have challenging deals. So you can feel like you're not alone out there. And then every other Wednesday, we are doing a training in the office where it's, 
It could be on waterproofing basements or septic systems or an electrician or a home inspector, a roofer. I mean, it, it could be that we've got there. None of these things are required, but we're asking them to attend as many as they possibly can. And it's no secret exactly like you said, Jim, that the more that they attend, the more that they're around, the more they're just hanging out in the office, even doing their prospecting from the office, the more successful they tend to be. Yeah. Yeah. Coaching and driving engagement is what drives retention. I mean, that's kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, what I'm hearing and that's, that's what typically people say. So great. So that, that kind of covers the retention side. Most of my questions there. So maybe just more holistically, you know, looking back on, you know, on that, that history for people that are just getting started that want to be where you are, you know, what do you know now that you didn't know them? What are, what are some tips for some people getting started that want to be where you are, right? Like, so, you know, some of the interviews we've had are people that are at 200 agents, right? Or 50 or, but they all started somewhere, right? Sure. And, you know, you know, for people getting started that want to be at, you know, 25, then 50, then hundred, then 500 or a thousand, right? Everybody's got to start somewhere. What, what are some of the tips you have for kind of like the people out there that want to be where you are in a year or two? Well, I, th I think it's, it's twofold. One, I think you need to have the infrastructure or at least as much as you can to make sure that you can support those agents. Otherwise they're going to be onboarded and it's going to be super clunky. It's, it's going to be a, not a positive experience for them. They're going to end up leaving. So all of the time, money, resources that you spent recruiting and onboarding, they're going to be for nothing because they're going to take off. But two, I think it's good to have goals as far as, Hey, I want to have this many agents by the end of this year, but it's not something that needs to be forced. Like I said earlier, we want to have as many of the right agents and none of the wrong agents. We've gone through growth spells in the past, a few years ago, where it was like, we were just hiring to get to numbers and you end up taking flyers on some that you probably shouldn't take flyers on. And then your numbers are back where they started anyway, because the people, you know, they, they flame out, they fan out. And then some of your higher producers, you know, one, they're, they feel like they're losing out on some of the resources. You know, they've got some dead weight who are taking leads away or who are taking your time away. And then three, I've had some that have left because they said, you know, it looks like the standards of the team are just dropping. I joined this high performing, high producing team to come be a part of this atmosphere. And these are the kind of people that you're bringing on. I mean, it looks like it's just, it, it's not congruent with, with what their expectations were. So just try not to grow too big, too fast. Just always be on the lookout for good, solid talent. And if you find them, whether you've got a place for them or not, if you've got good, solid talent, find a way to bring them aboard. Right. Well, and I like to say, so what I've realized recently, and I'm kind of, you know, I, I lead Burger Kid and we've built a software business, but you would think I'm in the business of building a software product, but what I'm really in the business of is, is recruiting and building a team, period. And that goes for any business that's yeah. at a certain scale. That's all that matters. And that goes for a brokerage as well. So your talent determines your success, right? And there's, you know, as the leader, there's three things you should be focused on, uh, the vision, the talent and keeping money in the bank. Right. And yep. what, what drives the, the most important is the talent, right? Because the talent can help you come up with the vision and they're going to pay for themselves to make sure there's money in the bank. Right. So, you are exactly right. 
So 100%. So, you know, kind of one last question. So do you have any kind of um, any other educational resources that, you know, most ever, all the education in real estate is around kind of like the sales of homes, right? And that mm -hmm. makes sense, right? Because that's what people do. But anything in particular that you can recommend in terms of books or training that has helped you not just on the sales side, but, help, you know, helping you build a success, a successful kind of team, you know, and, and business. Sure. So it, I think there's, there's lots of, there's lots of resources and in, in things that are out there. I am a huge fan right now of podcasts, especially like, like this one that we've got right now. I think it is, it is so great because our industry is moving so quickly. You know, the market's not the same today as it was six months ago, let alone five years ago. And, you know, books and magazine, you know, things like that, they're, they're great, but they're all very historic. Whereas things like podcasts are very now, they're very current. And so I think it's great for people to, to have a platform like this, where they can get up to the minute, up to date ideas areas again it kind of goes back to that adopt and adapt that some of the things that i'm working on it may not fit everybody's business model where they are today but they may be able to take a piece of it and adapt it into into what they're doing and find a way to to make that work so i i think finding these finding these resources like this are are phenomenal and there's there's a lot of them that are out there between this one and real estate growth hackers and um you know, there, there's just a, a lot of really good programs and, yep. and I'm always a fan of having a coach. So, so obviously thank you for being on. We love podcasts. We love participating in, but you know, these are fun to be part of because we learn as we go along, right? Every time. And so, you know, we appreciate, you know, the knowledge that you've shared with everyone and, and participating in that. Um, I guess kind of one final question where, you know, um, where can our listeners find you online? And I understand you may have, you know, some, some educational pro uh, products there too. Sure. So anybody can, can get in touch with me at my website, Luke at LukeAndrews.us. You know, you can get access to any courses or books that I have there. I have a lot of courses that are really geared towards agents, especially some of the newer up and coming agents. So if anybody that's listening, if you've got an agent who's kind of struggling in that first year, there's some really great opportunities and options in there. But if you've got an agent who's maybe been in the business for 12 to 36 months and they're kind of hitting a lull, I've got a new book that I, I just wrote. It's the, the six fatal mistakes killing your real estate career. If you want to pass that on to your agents, they can go download it absolutely free at sixagentmistakes.com. That's the number six agentmistakes.com. They can download that book absolutely free. It is going through, like I said, I, I've got 22 agents right now, but that, you know, over the course of several years, we've probably had 60, 70, you know, some that just didn't work out that we tried to hire too, too fast, too soon. But I took all of the things from successful and non-successful agents and tried to condense that down to, you know, just six things that I see on a regular basis that are causing agents to fail. And, you know, it, it's not what you think. It's not, well, I've got bad leads or, you know, the, the market's just bad. There's a lot of other little pieces that they don't even realize they're doing, even when the market's good, that's causing them to, to have a, have a less than stellar career. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. 
the bad leads reference makes me think of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. If you kind of yeah. think of it. uh, so, it's not the leads. Coffee's for closers. So anyway, so thanks for your time. For the listeners out there, go go check out his website. And thanks everyone for listening in and listen to our next episode, please. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed our show, please add a rating for us on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And be sure to come back next time to hear more strategies that will help you grow your business. Until then, this is Jim Turner. And don't forget, you need to start putting some of these tips to work today. This podcast was created and hosted by Jim Turner. It was recorded and produced by Cassandra Lopez. The Broker Growth Accelerator Podcast is a product of BrokerKit.